Yeah, I, I would like to chase sand grouse at some point. Just yeah. because if someone's going to claim that there's something tougher out there than a prairie chicken, like, I got to find out what it is. Yeah, I think I've seen videos of them. Are, like, is there a video out there of, like, wild goshawks chasing them on maybe planet Earth or something? Um, Maybe. The only video I've seen is uh, falconry video of them being hawked with... Um, Look like Jer Peregrine males and uh, like Shaheens and stuff. Okay. Let me look up a picture of them real quick. And they're, well, they're like a blend of a grouse and a pigeon. Which... Yes. Yeah. So I've seen video, I think maybe we've talked about this on here video of goshawks chasing them, wild goshawks oh. chasing them when they come in to get water. Because what they do is they, go into an area that has water and then they soak their feathers. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a really interesting adaptation. Uh-huh. And they take it back to the nest. I think so. And the babies suck on the feathers. Yeah. For moisture. And that Pretty wild. cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you get the explosiveness of a grouse and the shiftiness of a dove or a pigeon and hmm. like... That's Good luck catching it. And yeah. I think actually, um, do you do you follow Mark Williams on anything on Instagram or anything? Maybe I think so. Yeah, he he was in the UAE for a while. Oh, yeah, he yeah, was like a yeah, representative yeah. for Marshall. Mm-hmm. And uh, I asked him one time about sand grouse, and I want to say he told me that um, you might actually have better luck from like 400 feet then than uh, a big pitch a thousand feet because by the time your falcon gets down from a thousand feet they're at full speed and they are moving and dodging and stuff just like a dove gotcha so but incredibly challenging quarry and i know i also know i think maverick gordato talked about him and Back when he was in the Middle East and they were hunting uh, Hubara. Mm-hmm. And this is back, pretty sure, before telemetry. And the common sentiment there was you either catch... They didn't they didn't really hunt sand grouse with falcons. And it was either you catch the grouse or you lose your falcon. Because, like, back then, you know, you're not going to mm-hmm. be able to track them once they're out of sight. You just hope that you find them. Yeah. Um interesting so, yeah yeah but uh welcome to tail chase i'm nick and graham i think uh we're gonna talk about deer hunting a little bit today okay we've, um uh, we've had some pretty crazy stories that have happened by ourselves and together both yeah yeah um do you want to talk about the last deer we killed the one we got on camera yeah, yeah, we can talk about that. That was a that was an interesting season. Uh, that was twenty eighteen. Okay. Yeah, yeah, uh, twenty eighteen. Mm-hmm. And we had gone out the in September uh-huh. and shot a doe on film and pulled the shot, made a bad shot, but ended up recovering the deer pretty quickly. Um, which it happens in bow hunting. It's all all part of it nothing yeah. uh nothing's ever perfect and you try and you only went like seven less yards. than 100 yards yeah. yeah yeah 
I was shooting big expandable broadheads mm-hmm. and yeah, just if you get any kind of artery or anything with those, then you know, it's pretty devastating, which is what you want. Mm-hmm. But it would have been better if it was a clean shot. But anyway, so we'd, we'd shot a doe on film. I was actually watching some of the video of that. Oh, really? And me missing that coyote. So shoot the doe, and we're sitting there waiting, you know, because we give them a little bit of time after the shot to before you go track so that you don't bump the deer. And we're sitting there talking back and forth, and I look over my shoulder, and there's a coyote that comes walking up the trail. Uh-huh. And it comes in to, like, I mean, less than 10 yards. Yeah. And I told you, like, to shoot it or something. So you start to get ready, but it stopped. And so uh-huh. I didn't know if you could shoot around the tree or not. So I go to shoot it, and I missed. Mm-hmm. I didn't aim quite low enough, and I'm pretty sure it ducked. Uh-huh. And the arrow, like, touched its back. It didn't cut it or anything. It just, like, skimmed just over its back. Okay. And we got it all on film. Did we? Yeah. It was just by accident because it walked into where you were fr- like you were filming me like as we're sitting there talking back and forth. Really? Yeah. Huh. It was yeah, that close to the tree. Yeah, I remember it came like trotting along the dam of your pond, you know? Mm-hmm. And it came right in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so the hunt that we ended up catching on film, we went up to, to my uh, parents' farm in mm-hmm. northwest Missouri, which I'm fortunate enough to have access to and and pretty much the the sole person that hunts it my every once in a while some other people in the family will uh sit in a stand but not the same way that i do you know not as dedicated as i am to doing it Mm -hmm. but i shot that doe first sit of the season Uh then didn't go out again and we had this really big 10 pointer on the farm that i was really hoping to come across Mm -hmm. went up to the north fence line uh and it was really windy we got all set up and then i was like nah let's move like this is just not a good sit Uh, not a good spot to be when it's this windy so we ended up going to a different stand that's on the west side of the property got in there and uh, mom and dad had paid somebody to go in and brush hog a bunch of the brush and stuff and take some of the locust trees out of the uh, out of the woods and so we get sitting like sat down and i've i've killed deer out of the stand before and i look and it's like this is so open yeah and you're like i think you said to me it's, it's on the edge of a crp field like right in the corner mm-hmm. and we had just walked through the crp field they don't bed out there or anything we had walked through it to get to the stand. Mm-hmm. And you said, oh, I hope they don't come from the woods because they're going to see us because it's kind of down the hill a little bit yeah, from where we the main bedding like area is. Silhouetted. And, yeah. And I said, well, they ain't going from the CRPS where we just walked through. Yeah. And we're sitting there. The stand is a, is a double rifle stand, if you're familiar with these deer stands at all. So um, we're sitting at the same level on the same platform. You know, it's like a bench seat up mm-hmm. in the tree. Graham's on my right, which is where the woods is, and I'm on the left side, left side of the stand. And you know, maybe ten minutes goes by, and we just get like the camera situated and everything in the stand. I look over, and there's a deer walking our way, mm-hmm. and I pull up my binoculars, 
and I could see that it wasn't a deer that I recognized and it wasn't the big 10 point that I was really hoping to, to shoot that year. And I, I, he had like kind of a funky rack. And so I said to Graham, like, I might let you shoot this deer because he had his bow with us and a tag. But yeah, but with him and he had a stag and I, uh, yeah, I told him like, yeah, I might let you shoot this. I'm not sure. And then he goes, Oh, if you let me shoot that deer, I will shoot that deer. And I got a better look at it. I was like, Oh, that's a mature buck for sure. Uh It's just kind of got a funky rack, which we'll post a picture of him so Mm -hmm. you can see. And I was like, Oh no, I'm going to shoot that deer. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and he like just slowly walked along and came up our way. And the, the direction that he was coming, I was not going to be able to get a shot. So Graham's mm-hmm. trying to film, and he was blocking my side. So we had to switch mm-hmm. sides in the stand. Yeah. And so I, you know, it's like a circus up in the tree. I move around, you know, shimmy around him, trying to not move too much or yeah. too quickly and not make any noise to alert the deer to our presence. And I get moved, and Graham's trying to film the deer coming in. He's, he's moving real slow walking along feeding and i uh, my quiver was in your way no your bow oh my whole your, bow yeah the whole bow so i hand you the bow yeah to because there's hooks on both sides and the way the deer's coming your bow is going to be in the way of the shot yeah. so i hand you the bow thinking that you would turn around and hang it on the hook behind you uh-huh and you i hand it to you and i kind of look over at the deer and you're like what am i supposed to do with this yeah. And I look and you've got the camera in one hand and the bow in the other and you're trying to film, but you like got too much stuff. And so I'm like, oh crap. And so I pick the bow up and reach around you and hang it on the tree. Yeah. And then he's at like 40 yards at this point. I don't have a shot because it's real brushy, but he's still coming in. And he's going to come downwind of us, I'm pretty sure too. Yeah, the wind was kind of swirling in the corner and it, it was just enough of an off wind, which is I've killed a lot of deer that way where if the wind is just off enough and they're on your side of the ditch or whatever funnel point you have there and you can get a shot before they catch your wind because a lot of times they are coming into the wind and they they know to do that or they'll have some kind of barrier on their left side mm-hmm. where you know they know something's not going to jump out from them right there because they can see or hear or whatever the case and then the wind is coming this way so they know something's there they're going to smell it and those off winds are can be really really great and he was like almost to the point where he was going to catch our wind when he hit 20 yards. And I can remember as he's coming in and, and getting to almost to the point where he's going to be open. I look down and you're just shaking and the camera's shaking. I think I was you were more so excited to film it than to shoot it. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just like, Hey man, we're good. We got him. Like, uh-huh. Just stay chill. We got this. And it's weird. I've had instances where it's like if you have a really big deer or a deer that you know you're going to shoot coming in and that slow process can get you amped up and and wreck your nerves and make you take a bad shot. And then I've also had instances, you know, where it doesn't, where it's like if I've got time to think about it, I'm calm, I'm cool, I'm collected. And then other times, you know, where the deer just pops up and I'm like, okay, good. You don't have time to get excited or... Uh It's kind of weird what triggers it. Sometimes, Sometimes, you know, mm -hmm. they they pop up and you just lose it. Yeah. That happened to me a few years previous where a buck that I've been watching for a while finally showed back up on the farm and he's at 50 yards, which I wasn't going to take that shot. But it was like just to have him there and I about fell out of the dang tree. I was so excited. Anyway, so 
Buck comes in, Graham's super excited, and I was pretty pumped at first, but I calmed myself down, made sure I went through my shot process, you know, whenever I drew, and he came in to, I think it was like 23 yards. The buck was slightly quarter two, and you started to say to me, and you can hear it on the film, you say to me, hey, he's got his leg back. Don't, you know, or just be aware of that. You might want to wait a second to take a shot. But he, uh-huh. remember, he's getting right to the edge of where he's going to catch our wind. And I thought that he had taken that shot. At that point, I'm not hearing you. I'm, yeah. I'm focused on trying to get the job done. I'm already back, anchored, ready to let it fly. And I thought he had taken the step. So I indexed off of where his leg was, tucked it right behind the shoulder, pulled the trigger, and just watched that arrow sink exactly where I was aiming perfect mm-hmm. shot is what i thought and see here on the film me go smoked him dude yeah and that's, Which our, is that's our, our intro. intro so you can hear the arrow hitting the hitting the buck and then yeah me saying that well it was a touchback because uh-huh. he see and if if you if you like put a dot where your arrow went on the screenshot of his position when you took the shot mm-hmm. you'd say perfect mm-hmm. you know what i mean but as soon as you see that leg go forward and him turn a little bit, because I, I feel like I have it saved in my phone, the video in slow motion. Mm-hmm. I feel like he did duck the shot a little bit. Mm-hmm. And and it just, go, I feel like it really exaggerates, or not exaggerates, really shows how much of a difference it makes when the leg is back yes. versus when the leg is forward, how much of their vitals that exposes. Mm-hmm. Because, like I said, if you had a screenshot of where the arrow hit with the leg in the position it was in when the shot was taken, you'd be like, perfect, mm-hmm. tucked in right behind the leg. But as soon as that leg goes forward, you're like, ooh, no, that's more like back of the lungs, liver. You yeah. Know what I mean? But and we didn't know that at the time. I thought, no. perfect shot. Mm-hmm. And so after about you know five minutes, it starts to drizzle. Yeah. And, and he ran like he was, was his tail was down mm-hmm. and he booked it out of there, which... To me, usually means they're hit well. Yeah, and so something to know about the difference between me and Graham. I, I'm kind of in the middle when it comes to tracking. I like to wait a little bit and not be too aggressive, but you know I don't like to let stuff sit overnight if I can if I can help it. And I thought it was a good shot. Mm-hmm. Graham is much more aggressive. He likes to push. Now maybe that's because he's not the one who you know, pulled the trigger on the deer. Yeah. It definitely happened with that doe a little bit, which it paid off. You know, we found her right away and it was hot. But, um, with this, you're, you're very much more like, I want to see as much as I can of what happened. I've had bad experiences in the past where I've made mistakes, gone out too early and bumped deer and, and, uh, ended up recovering them, but it's never a good thing to have that happen. So I decided I was going to get down and check the arrow after, five, 10 minutes had gone by because it started to rain and I was afraid that any sign that's there is going to wash away because that arrow can tell you a lot about the shot. And I'm expecting to come down there and just see a perfect, you know, pink, red blood, covered arrow, lung, lung, and maybe heart shot because it was, you know, right there in that, that perfect spot from what I had seen on the shot. And I get down and there's stomach contents on the arrow. Which is never a good sign. And it was pretty clean too, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Like there, even there was, that, there wasn't that much. There on was it. there was some blood and just a little bit of stomach contents. I'm like, what the heck happened? Yeah. Because it looked perfect. It's it is uh, mind blowing how 
I've I've noticed, especially the older I've gotten, like how wrong you are when you know you saw something. Mm-hmm. Like I remember shooting a deer one time, and I just knew that it was right behind the leg, right in the heart, or maybe even too low, and that this much of the arrow was sticking out. Like I thought I'd hit him in the leg or something. You're holding like up that. like eighteen inches. Okay. I no, 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 I'm not questioning you. I'm t- for people that are just listening. Oh, yeah. I thought a, a lot of the arrow was sticking out. Mm-hmm. And, like, I still, to this day, have it burned in my mind. I remember the shot. I remember where I hit the deer. He went 30 yards, and then when I went and tracked him and found him, uh, it was quartering away, and I was only pulling, like, 45 pounds at the time. And so he had ducked the shot, and it had hit the back of his rib cage, quartering into him was hmm. a good double long shot and the arrow was maybe two-thirds into him or half oh. and it was like that's not at all what i saw i yeah. and i know what i saw dang it yeah. i know what i saw but that wasn't it yeah and it's weird it is interesting um and how bewildering in the moment to be like where even am i yeah <laughs> right now did i dream that yeah so we decided, which turned out to be the wrong call, kind of, to go up to at least where we could see last blood, and there was not much blood. And as we're kind of working along there, trying to pick this apart before the rain washes away the sign, I look up, and he's standing there at 120 yards in the woods, head down, clearly hurting. So we flung another shot. No. that's Well, that's that's what we were trying, not at 120 yards. So we kind of sat there and watched him for a while and debated, what do we do? Because he seems to be pretty out of it. Do I, like, I don't, it looked like the shot hit him good. But uh-huh. if it's a stomach shot, you know, it could take him seven or eight hours to die. And that's the last thing I want. Mm-hmm. So do I try and close the distance with a little bit of rain cover that we have? and get another shot off or do we just let him be and we decided to try and close the distance a little bit close enough where i could get a shot at this point you've got an arrow into the deer and he's still on his feet so you need to do what you can even if it's a longer shot than you'd be comfortable taking on an alert deer you know i want to try and get another arrow in him if Mm -hmm. possible Turned out to be the wrong call. We closed the distance, and as I'm watching him, he bedded down five or six times. Yeah. And then, oh, the, oh yeah, I forgot. So we're sitting there watching him and, and debating what we wanted to do, and he kind of slipped over the edge of the hill. And as I'm sitting there watching, I see something flip up. Yeah. And so I thought, okay, he just tipped over. Mm-hmm. And turns out that wasn't the case. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to kind of get up where I can see over the lip of this little bit of hill here and if he's still alive hopefully i'll be able to get another shot into him if not he's dead right there yeah well i start coming in and the rain stops so no cover noise whatsoever and the wind i feel it hit the back of my neck (laughs) and i hear the worst sound in the world yeah and there he takes off and he ran okay, but he didn't go too far. Mm-hmm. And it rained all night. Yeah. And so we went to look, and I found pools of blood where he mm-hmm. had bedded down initially. Yeah. So I think 
the right move in this instance would have been to not push him. Lesson learned. Well, see, but we didn't. I you know. I was thinking that we were just keeping him in sight. You know, like I I mm-hmm. was thinking we weren't going to try to close the distance. We were just like, well, it's getting dark. We might as well watch him as long as we can. And then we thought we saw him go down. So mm-hmm. then we were like, oh. Oh, he's down now. Okay, yeah. let's go up. Yeah, so initially it was we were being super quiet, uh-huh. not not trying to slip in. It was we're keep like we're watching him watch. and see and but stay close enough where if something happens we can maybe try and close that distance if we need to or whatever. Uh-huh. Uh, and yeah. So then, I looked for three hours that next morning and there wasn't much sign. Couldn't find where he had crossed the creek, even though I saw where he did, and it's like, man, there's just not anything to follow. And so we just started grid searching. Uh-huh. And I'm looking, and I, it was you had something to do that next day, so you weren't with me. It was my brother. I was in uh, nursing school at that okay. point. Okay, gotcha. Uh, so it was my brother, and he, uh, after a, a long time of searching, I hear him holler, and that he had found him, and that yeah. he was dead. And it was crazy because I had walked like maybe 10, 15 yards from him, but he had gone to the thickest, nastiest bramble patch in the farm and died. Yeah. And there was a like a basketball-sized hole in that bramble patch that my, my brother Peyton had just happened to look over and see that buck, yeah. the white belly. Nice. And that was the only spot you could see it from. You went 10 feet to the left, you couldn't see him. 10 feet to the right, you couldn't see him. Nice. Yeah, so we recovered him and... He had died pretty quick after I bumped him. He was he was evident from what I found that he had not lived very long after that. And where the shot actually hit was I got uh, one lung, split the diaphragm, and just barely nicked the stomach. And it entirely coated that arrow. There was maybe a one inch. I, those broadheads are like one and three quarter inch cut or something they're they're big broadheads it's a rage hypodermic was what i was shooting i think they're even maybe over two two blade Mm -hmm. maybe they're two two and an eighth or something something i mean it's a big big cut yeah and there was a less than an inch cut in that stomach so it didn't even look like the air the the tip of the arrow pierced Uh uh-huh the so it stomach just, like slid by it i guess and there wow. was must be enough pressure in that stomach that the gastric juices coated the Shot arrow or the whatever arrow. but yeah yeah so did the did the coyotes get him at all no no not touched and was he was it pretty cool that evening yeah he ended up uh ended up spoiling a little bit of the meat inside because okay. there was those uh-huh. uh that bacteria and stuff in in their system had had been ex, uh, expelled into the chest cavity. Okay. But we recovered most of the meat, and because he had been dead uh-huh. uh, for a while before we found him. Okay. Do you think he? So you think he'd been dead for a while? Yeah. Do you think he died like right after we flushed him? I mean, within a couple hours, I would say. You would think. Yeah. He was pretty. He, he. I mean, he went another from the last time I saw him. Probably a hundred, hundred and fifty yards, if that. Well, and that's only probably three hundred yards. Three hundred yards from where we shot him. Yeah. So it really, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, but you really wonder. Uh, 
what would have happened if you just left him? You know, would you I, I, bed I, down I, and die, or would I think he live he, for longer because you're not? No, I think after reading the sign and knowing where I hit him, that he would not have lived very long because okay. I, I I hit the liver too, which yeah. is you know so liver one lung split the diaphragm which makes breathing very difficult uh-huh. and barely nicked the stomach so i was right there in yeah. that area um i i think the the correct move would have been either leave him sit overnight mm-hmm. or come back four or five hours later and track in the dark but i i really don't like tracking really in the dark the pressure on yeah you. the rain put the pressure on i don't like tracking at night especially with a marginal hit like that uh-huh. because if you do bump him you have very limited information as to what happens yeah it, you know it's best to do it in the morning but then we were running the risk of zero sign being present because of the rain yeah it was just like what do you do yeah what do you do but because because of where he bedded down and how much blood was left even after it rained all night mm-hmm. i'm pretty confident he was bleeding a lot and would have bedded down there he wouldn't have tried to cross the creek he Mm. would have stayed right there and died yeah he did have an interesting rack and he so he had an interesting rack and no testicles what yeah which i shot him was it like late october i think yeah is when this was so normally like you kind of see him doing some chasing fighting other stuff he was walking along eating which I don't, I mean, yeah. you can see in October for sure. But yeah. a lot of times, like, if you're getting a buck on his feet at that time, it's because he's out cruising looking for does. Did he, did he have a penis? Yeah, penis and a scrotum. But, but no but nuts in there. No nuts. Do, do they, do you know if their nuts swell during breeding season? I don't know. I don't know, but I mean, I cut, because I know I kind of noticed that they were... Wow. Uh, shrunken you know that, yeah. that, that, that they didn't look filled and so i cut and looked and there was fascia and a little bit of fat but yeah. no testicles that's so weird yeah so you should tell the story about that giant buck that you had on that place you hunt out by fairfax okay uh oh man he was a giant so uh i started seeing him I have this stand that I call number one, and it's my favorite stand because it's a uh, crossroads where um, there's a trail going north-south and a trail going east-west, and you have woods on the east and crops on the west, and the border between the woods and the crops uh, is this kind of marshy area with some scrub and buckbrush and stuff like that. And it's just, you know, like, I feel like some of the best deer cover is just, like, overgrown rabbit cover. Mm-hmm. You know, you just look at it, and you're like, oh, I could, they can move quickly through it, but it's good cover. Yeah. Um. So I see deer moving through that quite a bit, and uh, especially during the rut. And so my favorite stand, call it number one. And I have a trail camera right there at that intersection over a scrape. And every fall I see quite a few bucks working it. Uh, Sometimes there's nice ones, sometimes not. But in October, about once a week, I started seeing this giant deer. Freaking huge. Like 
I don't. Someone found his sheds later and scored him. And I want to say he was over 200 inches. I think it was like 204. Yeah. If I remember right. And uh, just ridiculous. And he knew the camera was there. Like, from the first pictures that I got were like him just barely stepping into frame and like a picture. You know, I did it in three picture bursts. So, like, a mm-hmm. picture of him stepping in frame, a picture of him looking at the camera, and a picture of him leaving. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, uh, so about once a week, he would show up, um, in the middle of the night, midnight, two o'clock in the morning, not at all anywhere near daylight. Um, but if I remember right, it seemed like the pictures each week as the rut was approaching, he was showing up closer and closer to within daylight. Hmm. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, one of these weeks he's going to show up and make a mistake. And, um, I had a picture prior to Halloween of him near daylight, you know, within an hour or two. And so I was hunting Halloween night and I also had this nice 10 pointer and I've always wanted to kill a deer on Halloween. That's like my favorite night to hunt. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I had this nice 10 pointer that I'd seen on pictures um, come by at 20 yards right through that marshy area that I described just to the west of my stand. And I passed on it because I was like, uh, but if I shoot that thing, sure enough, like the big one's going to come out and then I'll be kicking myself. Yeah. So I held off. I let him walk. And then uh, I was in college at that time at Northwest and I was a TA in the botany lab, mm-hmm. and we were setting up for the next day's lab exam. That was kind of one of the job responsibilities, and um, I didn't like have to be there because they had plenty of help. But I, you know, I was hanging out with my girlfriend at the time, and I was like, whatever, you know, I'm here, might as well make a little money. And it was really windy that day. Mm-hmm. And we're in the lab, and do you ever get that feeling on a windy day when, like, you're going to fly, you're wanting to fly that evening, or you're wanting to hunt that evening, and you're like, I just have a feeling like it's going to die right at sunset, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, Well, I had that feeling. It was like, right now, no way would I be in a tree. Like, it's howling, the trees are swaying, but I just have this feeling like it's just going to be perfect right, right at dusk. So I thought about going home and jumping in a tree. But then I was like, no, like, I should be here. I should be, like, a good worker. And, like, more than likely, you know, I'm not going to be missing anything. And so I stayed and I worked. You don't remember this little detail, but you texted me. You texted Did me. I? Yeah, you texted me and asked me, should I go out this evening? Yeah. And I said, yeah, I mean, it's a little windy now, but you know. It's yeah. going to die down right at sunset and be a good evening. Yeah. Well, I should have listened to you because I hunted the next day and checked my trail camera. And I didn't see anything that night. But then when I got home after dark to uh, stick the ca- the memory card in the computer, mm-hmm. um, right about the time that I thought it would die down, which it did that evening. Yeah. 
uh, he walked by my tree in broad daylight following a doe at 15 yards. Yeah. And I have a picture of it. And like, <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll never forget that. And then nobody killed him that year, but somebody did find his sheds. And I kind of found out, you know, it's a small town, so, like, people talk. And, like, he had been seen on multiple farms many miles away. Wasn't his, Weren't his sheds found, like... Miles. S- like, seven um, or eight or more miles from... I think from... so. I, I know the guy who found him, uh, but I don't know which farm he found him on. Uh, and I don't think he would tell either. Gotcha. Um, um, maybe he would at this point, because that buck is definitely dead. It's got to be. There's no um, way he. That was like five years ago. Yeah, yeah, There's and no he was a mature, alive. like fat old deer when. Yeah, he when was. That he was at least five. So uh, he found the sheds and put them on a shoulder mount. Mm-hmm. Had it mounted. Um, so that was cool to like have some good, you know, high definition pictures that you could look at from different angles and see what he would have been like mm-hmm. had you shot him. Um, but we could maybe post a picture of that too yeah just like and like he was my favorite kind of deer like a typical frame but just but junk just like every junk and like stickers double and points and yeah yeah and not uh but not ugly it wasn't like this it wasn't like he had a growth on his head no it was actually a pretty pretty rack yeah um but just a lot of character you mm-hmm. might say and uh Somebody claimed, somebody shot a deer that had a similar frame a couple years later. Um, And it was a really old deer, like it had no teeth and stuff. In the area? In that area, Uh yeah. Um, And, you know, they were like, oh, I wonder if it was him. And he's just, like, declined in his old age or whatever. I'd rather not believe it. I want to think that he died of natural causes or something. No. We should, uh, we should, we got ton, a ton more deer hunting stories, including the, the buck that I killed this year, which is uh-huh. a pretty cool story. We should save that for another one, but let's tell the story, uh, each of our first deer. Our first deer? Yeah. Yeah. With now a bow? We, whatever. Mine wasn't with a bow. So I'd been bow hunting for a couple of years. No one really showing me the right way to do things and had had very limited encounters even with deer i'm sure because i was just fidgeting in the stand and not sitting in the right spots not you know knowing and i went out opening day of rifle season when i was a kid i don't remember how old i was i'd probably been i was probably a junior in high school i think and i'm sitting in the fence line because i didn't even have a stand up there at this point really close actually to where i killed the buck this year and the, and the same stand that we had talked about from the buck that we didn't end up sitting in because it was too windy. And I'm sitting there in the fence line, and I hear something behind me. I'm like, what the heck? And I kind of look, and I just saw a glimpse of something on the other side of the fence. You know, there's brush and stuff growing up, so you can't see. It's not clean. And then I see this buck jump the fence. And in this particular county, you have what's called a four-point rule where you can't kill a buck unless it has four antler points at least an inch long on one side of its rack. Its left side only had three, but it was like a non-typical, like kind of funky looking rack on that side. 
he turned his head and looked at me, and I could see that he had four points. And I'm shooting this 30 out six that we had at the time. And I. It's uh, a lot of firepower. Yeah. I, he was at 75 yards. I pulled up on him, went to pull the trigger, and forgot to flick the safety off. And I flinched, uh, oh, just terribly. Yeah. Terribly. He saw me, kind of took a few more steps and stopped. <laughs> and I flicked the safety off real quick, pulled the trigger. Good shot, double lungs. He just drops, and then starts kicking and falls like in this probably twenty yard or twenty feet down this kind of steep creek that's on the farm. <laughs> so we had to drag him up out of it. And I remember looking up right after I shot him, and on the neighbor's property was this other guy walking around. This is maybe fifteen minutes after shooting time. He's already walking around in hunter orange, aimed right at the buck. That I just shot. Like look, he was like looking through his scope. Looking through his scope, yeah. Do you think he was just watching what was going on, or do no? You... He was about to shoot that deer. You think I, so? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I won't get into how I know that, uh, or who that was. I don't. I can. I don't you know do know it. who it was? Yeah, I don't. Don't remember his name at this point. I I found out who it was. Okay. And uh, that he was going to shoot that deer and poach it off of our property, huh. is what I was told anyway. Yeah. Um, but huh. I got him first. <laughs> <laughs> and that was your first year ever? First year ever, yeah. Okay. And nobody, I mean, by myself, like yeah. 16 years do old. Do it yourself. Mm-hmm. Learned, yeah, all, learned how to do it myself. And my dad came out and helped me field dress it and all that. He he had never done it either. So. Yeah, I think I, I think I actually told the story of the first year I ever shot in, like, one of our first podcasts. Oh, okay. Um... Yeah, I'm almost positive. Uh, but the first one that I shot with a bow, though. So, same farm where this giant buck was. And it seems like every few years, there's a big buck on that property that people know about. Because it's, you know, it's not way, way out in the middle of nowhere. There's roads and people see. And the way the farm's laid out, it's fairly visible from the highway. Yeah, some of with the, the timber kind of in the middle, mm-hmm. and then the crop fields surrounding it. So, like, if there's deer out in the field, they're within sight of the road. Right. So, um, there had been some people who, some out-of-town hunters, non-residents actually, who used to hunt it before we did. And then when we started hunting it, um, they opted out or like decided to lease somewhere else or something like that Mm -hmm. and uh but they didn't want to bother driving all the way out to pick up their stand so i think my dad like bought it from them or something like that and so there was this ladder stand that i mean and this is like back in the day before uh like safety was as big of a thing like there's no guardrail it's just like a platform about maybe 20 and 20 by 20 Mm -hmm. you know i mean it's not much room to walk around on or anything and no guardrail and then just like a probably a six by 12 seat or something Mm -hmm. and uh so i'm sitting there in the stand i've got my tree harness on and yeah, you're talking about figuring things out for yourself and like learning hard lessons. Well, one of the things that took me a long time to 
do anything about was uh, warm boots. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I was wearing uh, uninsulated rubber boots that were rubber on the inside and the outside. Oh, no felt or anything. Yeah. That's cold. And so every every time I'd go hunting, I would just sit there and just shiver and just be freezing, you know. And uh, it was just a matter of how long could I hold out every morning. Yeah. Um, so I'm freezing my balls off and there's, uh, it's the rut and there's little bucks chasing does around. And I think I only, I either had already used my buck tag or something, but I was going to shoot a doe. I was happy to shoot a doe. And so this, uh, little buck chases the doe up from the south and um she comes up and is just like across the ditch from me at uh i think 17 or 18 yards quartering away slightly and shot her hit the back of her rib cage and just you know buried the arrow it was a good shot got both lungs i think and she just bounded away and then that's the first time that i remember uh having like buck fever Mm -hmm. which is such a it's a wild experience like just being so amped and i wish i wish i could get that feeling back uh one of the few things that like does it for me anymore is hawk and prairie chickens with Mm. my falcons and that's kind of why i do it but it's it's crazy you know you're just shaking so bad and like having trouble breathing and you got to sit down in your stand and hold on to the seat because you might fall out yeah i definitely find like i still get it every once in a while especially if i'm cold Uh like and you have that adrenaline dump Mm -hmm. or it's like oh goodness and yeah that that you can't control the shaking Mm -hmm. yeah it's cool man um and she ran 100 yards uh and piled up out of sight but the blood trail was easy to follow and i was using my little parker buckshot was Mm. the bow uh 40 to 50 pound draw and just uh yeah. I uh, technology's come a long way yeah. since then. I really enjoy bow hunting, man. It's it's a lot of fun. There's there's just something about uh the excitement of watching an arrow go into an animal like that. Like it's just it's very primal. Mhm. Yeah, being that close to them and the stealth involved and being mm-hmm. in their world unbeknownst to them yeah it's very personal mm-hmm. you know what i mean it's like it's, an it's one thing to blast too. one from 100 yards with a rifle it's a little different to be in their personal space and the you know? work that goes in to mm-hmm. being proficient with a bow too i think yeah. plays into the appeal to me yeah yeah all the practice shooting in the summer and mm-hmm increasing your effective range and all that stuff yeah um we got uh we got lots more deer hunting stories that uh we'll have to 
cover on future episodes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just getting started. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of them, man. Well, thanks for listening, and happy hawking. Happy hawking.